Hello, welcome to Coming Down to Earth, an online summit about conflict transformation to explore pathways towards regenerative cultures in a divided world. My name is Nuno da Silva, and I'm hosting today a conversation with our friends John Yang and Deborah Benyam. John was already with us for the conversation for last week, uh, where we explored very interesting topics related with nature-based um, learning and uh, community development. It was really, really interesting. John, you've been a nature connection mentor, a naturalist, a wildlife tracker, peacemaker, author, workshop leader, and consultant. You are quite of sought out um, as a public speaker and storyteller. Uh, so you work with stories, community development on a nature-based uh, environment where nature is actually in uh, a partner and in, in deep relationship, so in deep interconnection. And you also do tracking, which has been part of the conversation of last week, but I find that uh, an awesome uh, practice and uh, in the in activity. And and together with Deborah, so Deborah is is currently involved in um, okay sorry so Deborah, Deborah is, is currently involved in the transition network I'm currently working there uh, working with uh, the the development of the team and the, the, like team learning and organizational learning and there's also some other responsibilities you have that you can share with us later on you've been um, yeah, you're working for positive change and collaborative culture within the Transition Network. And then you've also been, for Eight Shields, a coordinator for the Pathways to Village Building and Design for Peace programs. You're part of the Eight Shields strategic and design team. You've been a, you're also a Gaia educator trainer and training of trainers with particular focus on the social dimension of sustainability and participatory facilitation. You both got involved in this work with Eight Shields on, on peace education, and that's kind of the main, um, it's at the heart of our conversation today, to get to know a bit more of what are the practices of Eight Shields that can help support people in their, in their development process to, to be working towards more and more healthy, regenerative, peaceful cultures around the globe. So perhaps the, the, a good way to get us started would be to, to just invite you to talk a bit about like what, what drove you in your life journey to create Eight Shields. And through that process, maybe we, we start to enter into what's the, the work of the organization all about? What is this work that you are doing together um, about? What, is, what are the, the different aspects of it that are relevant for this topic of uh, conflict and healthy, regenerative cultures. The story of, of what caused me to work with Eight Shields is uh, more of a story of how do we organize this massive trove of information um, from all the research we did around what makes social groups effective at connecting on all levels with nature, people, self, um, and you know, really uh, thinking about ancestors, thinking about the unborn generations. You know, you think about one of the problems in modern times, it's the future generations have fallen off the radar for a lot of people, right? So what actually effectively reconnects people with these five elements, you know, nature, self, other people, ancestors, unborn generations. And uh, there were so many little tiny elements that were very useful, but they could easily fall out of your mind. And we needed a way to organize these things because people are not in practice with them, so they don't think to use them or even look for them. So we were trying to find a, a system, if you will, a structure that imitated nature as well, that would be an interesting way to organize this, this content or these processes. Um, uh, I, I, you know, people know what Legos are. <laughs> You know, I always like to think about it as if you take a, a bunch of Legos and you put them in a giant cardboard box that a refrigerator came in, you know, you always will just grab the Legos on the top and you won't know about the ones that are deep down in there that are useful for other, other fun applications. So we created a, um, we based it on eight times of day and we, we started with just four times a day. 
um, you know, sunrise, midday, sunset, midnight, because there was a distinct feeling. And <clears throat> we interviewed children all over the state of New Jersey, suburban modern children and urban children. It, was, it wasn't, uh, we didn't get this from like a deep indigenous thought. The elder that was working with us at the time said, we should organize it according to nature, just like everybody in old traditions has always done. Let's respect the, the times of day, the times of year, and the directions. And that was uh, Ingwe's contribution. Um, and we started with these four times of day. Um, sunrise has a certain feeling, and children could articulate the feeling of sunrise, which was what we were looking for. What is so obvious that a child could explain it to us? We didn't tell them what it was. They told us. There was a feeling of freshness. There was a feeling of anything could happen. There's, it's pregnant with possibility. They didn't say that, but that's the feeling. You know, like when you wake up in the morning, you go out and you greet the sun. Anything is possible. You know that feeling? So fresh. Depends on whether or not you got good sleep the night before. <laughs> Assuming you got good sleep. Um, but then midday has an entirely different feeling. And if you want to move through the midday, you have to have focus. You have to remember what you're committed to. And you have to focus and have good attention. And then the sunset always feels like it's time to get with my friends and celebrate the day. You know, like there's this feeling of let's get together as family. Let's share a meal. Let's share our stories from our day. So we were looking for these archetypal things that seem to relate to our ancient nervous system, and they actually do. And then eventually we realized four categories wasn't enough, and we divided into the, you know, instead of 6 a.m., 12 noon, you know, 6 p.m., we went 6 a.m., 9 a.m., which is southeast, 12 noon, southwest, 3 p.m., and like that. Um, and then we organized into eight categories and then we gave those categories layers and I won't go into the details cause I'll lose you at this point. Um, but <clears throat> we organized the whole system based on that. And it's been a, uh, you know, it's been an iterative process, but it's really been about a regenerative in breath, out breath with nature. So it's more of an ecologically based design system, um, of how to, and, you know, if you're thinking about these elements, why are there so many? Well, because babies need one kind of element. Toddlers need a different kind. O older children need a different kind. You know, preteens need something different. You know, teenagers need something different, young adults and so on. So there's layers to it. Um, at different stages of life, we need different things. And uh, I'll stop there. But let's just say that the whole thing is organized so that, you know, people will never run out of things to learn or experience or apply within complex systems like organizations, villages, families, etc. So I'll stop there. But it is all based on nature. And it is all based on tracking. I, I, I laugh when you said, oh, you're a tracker, you know, and as if that's over here. But tracking is here. It's right in the center. Because uh, as our, our Bushman friends observed, you know, tracking is what we are all born to do. We have eyes, ears, nose, taste, you know, sense of smell, the ability to tell stories and imitate. Our whole nervous system is based on tracking. So you can think of tracking as paying attention at many levels uh, with your whole being, you know, so that's, that's, you know, that's my tie back to nature. So I'll stop there. Zip. No, but, and thank you for bringing that. I, I love it because actually <laughs> I, I, because of connecting with your work with tracking, I, I kind of realized that kind of everybody does tracking. It's just that we don't know or don't call that name. And, and it's actually great to lean into what that means because it opens up a whole other world of, of understanding life. So thanks for that. Mm. Deborah, tell us a bit about your story. Okay. Well, first of all, I just want to reflect on what John was saying there about us all being trackers. And I didn't study anthropology. I studied biology, zoology, marine biology, ecology, you know. So I came later to anthropology and understanding human history on the planet. And it was such a big surprise to me to learn that we, you know, humanity was on the planet for 90% of the, the time we've been on the planet. We were hunter-gatherers. And so when we talk about the evolution of the nervous system, that's what, the, that's what our systems um, evolved to do. And so this short period of kind of industrialization and the way that we and technology and the way that we live now is our nervous systems aren't, aren't used to it. And that's one of the big pieces that I've learned from John. It's like, oh, wow, we really are hardwired to be tracking multi-sensory input all the time and to be interconnected with the complex living system that we're part of. And when we become divorced from that, it has really serious implications for our health and also our ability to design human systems in a good way. 
Um, anyway, so that's been fascinating for me being on this journey with John for the last, what, 10 years now. So my journey with this work and my journey generally, I started out as a zoologist um, and then a marine biologist and a marine mammal biologist. I worked for a, a big dolphin and whale charity for a while looking at, um, you know, how do we do good environmental education and how do we conserve particular species and particular habitats and help people to want to do that and to have a conservation ethic and to be environmentally responsible. And I really love that work. but. I think I became really frustrated and that's why I became an educator. You know, why are we having such impacts on the planet? So, and that led me to sort of zoom out and I was living in Scotland near the Fintorn Eco Village. Um, it led me more and more to look at design for sustainability, to look at whole systems thinking and ecological worldviews and to really think about, yeah, why are these problems happening? What are the underpinning beliefs and assumptions of our current dominant society that are creating all these problems? And how do we redesign that for something more resilient, more healthy, more regenerative? And I was very fortunate to get trained with Gaia Education and to be living in an eco village and helping to manage um, a sustainable education retreat centre for six years. And it was during the first year of um, being at that centre that an art of mentoring, which is the flagship week-long residential nature-based program that Eight Shields runs actually happened just two miles down the road from us. So of course I attended and what was so completely remarkable for me about attending that event was, um, I mean many people say that what's most remarkable for that event for them is having a lived experience of regenerative culture. They get to live in a connected village for a week with babies up to elders, doing nature connection practices, doing people connection practices, singing, gathering around the fire, doing tracking, making food, you know, doing all sorts of cool stuff together, handcrafts, primitive skills. And it awakens that longing in the nervous system of like, wow, this feels so good and I want more of this in my life. So that's how it is for many people, except I've been living in a connected community and an eco village and I had a lot of that already. And I was one of the small number of people that the most transformative part for me is when they do the big reveal of how did we design this whole thing at the end? I like wept for hours. I was like, this is such an amazing design. I love it. Because suddenly there was a way and I'm a bit of a design nerd. And I think that's why I've carried on working with John, because it's such an elegant design framework. Um, if suddenly I saw a way to help design my team in a way that would distribute leadership and it wouldn't just be like me trying to like run everything. I saw a way to design the nature connection programs that I was running to make them much more um, transformative and connective and to have much longer lasting impacts on people. I saw a way to design the community open days that we were having at the center in a way that would be more engaging and relevant and fun for people because using the, the natural kind of flow learning cycle around the wheel, using the cultural elements that create good welcome and a feeling of safety and participation, using the nature connection practices that help people have an experience of the place and the animals and the plants. It was just such an elegant design system. So that's why I got really into Eight Shields and kind of started doing all the courses. And then um, John came to teach at Fintorn and I volunteered on his program. And then he became my mentor and we did that for a few years. And then we just started nerding out on all this design stuff and have been working together, creating courses and materials, I guess, for the last four or five years, uh, more in a kind of colleague way. So mm. that's been really good fun. Um, yeah, and that's kind of, uh, and three years ago, he invited me to coordinate our nine-month distance immersion course on village building. So that's all about how do we create the regenerative cultures within which an ecological worldview can flourish and people can, can become deeply nature-connected and design from that perspective of relationship with nature and relationship with themselves and the future generations and the past generations and that much more holistic view so that's what village builders is all about and we've been and a core component of that is peace building how do we relate with ourselves from peace how do we design peaceful communication systems and conflict resilience in our relationships and how do we design our organizations and our groups to be conflict resilient um, so it's much more on the peace building side, it's much more about designing for conflict resilience rather than doing conflict resolution. So I guess in a kind of health analogy, it's prevention rather than cure, but it's not even prevention, it's resilience. It's like, how do we become conflict resilient, knowing that we show up to groups and organisations and our village building, community building together, 
um, and this is so relevant to transition, of course, as well, that when we show up, we're coming with all the, the wounds and sensitivities of the dominant culture and the society we've been in and all the things that have happened to us or to our ancestors. We bring that into our collaborations and then we fall over ourselves. And that was my personal journey into peace building of like, oh, my God, I'm so sick of seeing visionary, beautiful, kind people with fantastic ideas, their projects falling apart because of conflict um, mm -hmm. and lack of appropriate ways to collaborate and navigate difference in a in a good way so that's why peace building is so important to the work we do because village building is hard when we're coming from a wounded dominant culture yeah and i, I guess it's like where where most intentional communities kind of fail or or yeah kind of sometimes collapse in this human aspect of interaction so i was thinking like without wanting to shy away from complexity and we're kind of touching individual, collective, structural, systemic structures and, and we're going to touch on all of those things. I, I, I'm only honest uh, that I, I, I got a bit envy, envious of hearing you, Deborah, and thinking like, oh, I would like to be with you guys on the inside of these things, of like how, how, how to think about it. So perhaps you can shed a bit of a light on on the, the the system, the principles. Where do you want to start with? Kind of peeling peeling off a bit of this complex onion of of, of things. Can, may I speak for a second, Deborah? That was brilliant. I I'm um, also want to say yes. We're colleagues now, but Deborah is also a mentor to me in many ways. She knows so much about shared governance and sociocracy and all these things that. You know, I've been so buried in my engineering, you know, from the HL's perspective, I, you know, she says, pull your head out of your Lego box and look around. There's some really cool people doing some really cool stuff. Check this out. Check this out. Check this out. This is so collaborative with what we're doing. And so Deborah's been an amazing colleague, but also she's been a terrific mentor as well. Um, so we, you know, we, we are the smallest unit of culture. So you can think of Deborah and her husband, Root, as they actually, I said, Deborah, take this box of Legos and organize it so the rest of the world can have access to it. You know, and that is our Pathways to Village Builders project. So her husband just buried himself down inside the box of Legos, like, and his feet are sticking up out the top, you know, and they're going like this. But he loves it. He loves being in that box of Legos. And he's um, he's a DJ by training. So he likes to curate really cool experiences for people with different, you know, creative inputs. And he's just done this marvelous job. And, and the three of us work together in a very um, uh, lovely, collaborative way. We have such different skills and such different things to bring. Um, and Deborah just did say, and Root have done a terrific job of organizing pathways to village builders, which essentially is teach people how to deal with the complexity of um, community design, because community design for a baby is different than community design for an elder. And community design for an elder who comes from a wounded cultural background who doesn't feel like they have anything to offer is different than interacting with elders from traditions that do have something to offer. And, you know, how do you help deal with all of the, I mean, there's so many potential conflicts throughout the whole system that we have to be very aware of all these different principles, but it's so complicated. We're like, well, what does it all boil down to? What is, what does it come down to? What's the wireframing at the center that we can all get our heads around and realize that we're doing, we're just, applying these these eight principles in many different layers you know so we train people first and being aware that sunrise feels different than 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 midday uh, we start there it's a very embodied thing and i want to bridge it back to what i said in the last conversation in case anybody wants to jump over and look at that conversation with you nino and i i'm sorry i forgot the gentleman's name that was with ben ben yeah um that you know he was talking about gratitude he was talking about the haudenosaunee way he was and and we, we went a little bit down into nature connection, you and I and Ben. Um, and then you said, well, what does this have to do with conflict resolution and resilience? I'm like, it has to do with, you know, the ability for the nervous system to build capacity to hold space. Um, and when we develop awareness with all our senses, we develop an increased neurobiological capacity to listen, to be empathetic, to have that feeling. I talked a bit about those attributes of connection. Um, so I'd like to bring us back there for a moment. Just, um, you know, if people want to go, they can go over there and look at that. Um, but that when we build deep nature connection, <clears throat> we awaken our senses and we develop that integration of senses through sharing our stories. And we learn to listen unconditionally to one another. We then are, in essence, we're being trained for conf conflict resilience as well as conflict resolution. 
Um, that said, if you spend a lot of time in nature and not a lot of time with people, there's a bit of an orientation of how to be come back to my village because we come back sensitive. You know, all of our, I know you, you all know what I'm talking about. You spend some time in nature, you get really open and your heart is open and you're feeling really like, ah, oh, it's such a beautiful world. And then you come back into society and you have a really intense experience in the city and you're just, ah, right? I hate people. So there's some training that also has to be done to help people realize that when they get the resource of nature connection alive within themselves, they have to learn to work with that openness and sensitivity in complex human systems that can be very challenging and not to shut down and run back into the woods. Although we also say, if you get so triggered that you need to run out to the woods for a little bit to get recentered, then that's fine. We call that maintaining personal peace. So Deborah does a really brilliant job of talking about these layers of peace building. And I'd, I'd love to, to, you know, pull your string, Deborah, and say, please go uh, talk about these three, these three different systems of peace building um, from that standpoint. Because I'm trying to build a bridge back to what I spoke to last time. Because it, it was not, oh, that's nice. The nature thing is nice. You know, it's over here. No, no. The nature thing is right here. It is the center of who we are. And when, and when we as human beings reconnect ourselves into our original nervous system, we have so much more capacity for peace building, conflict resilience, but also creativity and, and uh, genius really comes through from our nature connection. So um, it isn't over here. It would be nice if we could go out and garden right now, but actually, no, we have to deal with our human thing. We're bringing these things right together because our strength as humans comes from our powerful nervous system connected to the natural world. And that also opens our heart to be caring for nature that we'll want to take care of each other. We'll want to take care of the land, the planet for the future generations. So, okay, enough from me. Over you, Deborah. Sure. Um, one thing I'm going to add to what you were saying about the <clears throat> times of day and the organizing the Lego pieces that I have found helps people understand like what on earth is, is eight shields and how do these shields work? Uh, so I'm going to add one bit there that um, I think will just complete what you were saying, which is if we, if we take that Eastern shield or the eastern direction and we say that's all you know we put sunrise there in terms of the time of day and then we organize some pieces of lego there based on these kind of energies of that time of day that were pulled from those children that john worked with back in the 80s and 90s what we then do is we come up with some kind of archetypal or essential qualities of that direction so as john was saying it's about freshness and beginning and possibility and excitement and happiness and then you see we can take cultural um, practices uh, that support those things and hang them on that part of the design framework so really good welcome really good greetings making sure that we're inclusive and that we welcome people's wholeness and diversity when they come into a group with us um, and a good example of that, I remember you telling a story, John, of like how many times have you been invited to some kind of community consultation, which is all about build, you know, collaborative problem solving for your region or uh, an environmental group saying, come along and do something fun with us. And then you turn up and feel really like nervous and unwelcomed and it's not friendly and people are in cliques. And it's like exactly the opposite vibe you want to be able to co-create something with people. So for us, um, these cultural elements have certain qualities to them that you can you can kind of put into a framework to then allow you to do a really fantastic holistic design of your container or your event or whatever. So I just wanted to link where, why the directions and the time of day, they have a, an essential essence or quality and then you can arrange the cultural design principles or the nature connection tools to those different energies. And that's a nature-based design framework rather than a kind of list or a table or a non-nature-based design framework and people kind of get it straight away when they learn the whole thing They're like oh my god that makes so much sense and it sort of sticks in their head so one part of that is the design principles for peace building and um one of the things that ha that's um i've really noticed when i work with groups you know including up at fintorn we did some peace building workshops um with the uh, the community association and the college there and we've done peace building workshops at Schumacher together, Schumacher College, John Root and I. And what we often hear from, and, and in, you know, in transition, I'm working on conflict resilience with the transition network team. One of the things we often hear is that there's so many different tools and practices um, for conflict resilience and conflict resolution. And this summit is such an amazing showcase of those. Like, what a wonderful thing to bring so many wise and interesting people together with all these different practices and one of the things that I have found helpful with eight shields is to be able to hang some of those practices um, 
on a framework. So if, I, if I'm working with a new group and, for example, Transition Network said, hey, we really want to work on being more collaborative and more um, conflict resilient. They've already done a lot of good work on that, I have to say, but they will, you know, that's a commitment to be even better at that and to share that with the movement, which the summit is part of as well. Um, they said, you know, how would we go about doing that? And for me, I can then go, oh, let me think about these peace principles in the Eight Shields framework and like, let me work with those. So we have three peace principles and then a fourth principle, which is kind of deeply related. So the first principle, um, which goes on the on the Eight Shields framework, goes from the north uh, east to the southwest, is called the peace principle. Um, and one of the simple ways to think about the peace principle is about this um, inner peace, this personal peace. So when I think about conflict resilience and conflict resolution, how do I come from a place of peace in myself? How do I return to peace when I get knocked out of it? Uh, what, what's the self-responsibility and the personal practices and the self-awareness that I can develop to come back into peace? Because... In a group, the way we behave, it ripples out. And particularly if we're in a position of responsibility or leadership or mentoring, if we're out of personal peace, that's going to affect everyone around us. So we have a very strong conduct agreement in Eight Shields that we look after personal peace. We have practices for coming back to personal peace and we actually hold each other accountable to personal peace. So one of the activities we do at the beginning of all our events is we sit down with our team, uh, our little staff group, and we say, how do I know when you're at peace and in your best self and really sort of thriving? How do I know when you're not? Like, what are the literally the external signals that you're like not doing great? And how do you get back to a good place? And then do I have permission to like hold the mirror up and say, I notice you're out of personal peace. Would you like some time to go and use those practices to get back into peace? So that's like a that's like a whole little bundle there of self-awareness, developing practices, having a process in a group to make to build awareness of that and then a, a kind of loving accountability to call to each other like you would you know with a a pod of whales or a pack of wolves if someone strays out of the group we don't want to call them out and shame them we want to say hey where have you gone are you okay this is different than what I thought we were going to be doing or you were going to be doing what do you need to come back into the group and be in relationship with us so there's like this whole commitment and set of practices around personal peace and that's the kind of foundation of the peace principles. But then there's also how we relate and communicate with each other. And I know that you've got some great speakers at the summit looking at um, nonviolent communication and other practices that help us relate and communicate with each other in a, a clean way, a compassionate way, an empathic way about, you know, healthy boundaries, all this kind of good stuff, looking at needs, um, looking at... Um, Anyway, I won't go into that because other people are going to go into that. So the relational side of peace. How do we design for relational peace and in our interpersonal level? So that's um, what we sometimes call that axis, which is the east-west axis in, the, in our little design framework, is a good message. And that's a, a translation, I think, from um, uh, is that a Sony word? I'll go back to John on that in a minute. Yeah. But it's all about kind of right relationship. It's all about how do we be in good relationship with each other? How do we use our finest words? How do we have sensitive conduct to each other? Thinking about how our words will land on someone else. Um, and also we've talked about that one being about, it's not just communication, it's about community building. So how do we build containers for relationality? So that's why with it being East-West, you know, I said earlier that the East is all about beginning and welcoming. So part of good message is welcoming someone and making them feel really seen and included. So you might do a check-in circle at the beginning and ask how people are and what's happening for them. And the West End and the Eight Shields model is often about, it's that sunset time and that autumn time. It's about celebration and abundance and community. So as well as welcoming people into your group really well, communicating with each other in a clean way, there's also valuing and appreciating and celebrating each other. And that sits in the West. So those things have this beautiful kind of relationship seeing people, celebrating people, and communicating and building the ropes of connection between them in an ongoing way. So that's the good message axis. And then the north-south axis is the one um, that we call unity. And that one relates particularly to, and this is an oversimplification because we only have a short time, but the unity axis we find is particularly important to think of in uh, relation to the whole group or the system that you're in. Uh, and uh, 
an example from, say, an organization or a transition initiative or a nonprofit working together or community activism group is that the North is all about um, it's the the midnight or the midwinter and the archetypal energy is kind of around clear vision and wisdom and regenerative design, the big picture, the elder archetype. And the South is the midday, the midsummer, the focus, the determination, the kind of grounding, the warrior energy, you could say. And so what we're saying there, if we relate that to organizational peace, is we need an overall purpose and vision for our group. We need to have shared values, shared purpose, shared vision, and be really clear about that. That's kind of the wisdom in our system that we've come to unity on. But if that's not grounded with agreements and kind of our, our conduct agreements, how we relate to each other, could be our handbook, could be our policies and procedures. It can get as nitty gritty and that in the South. It's like how we take responsibility, hold accountability, have agreements, um, and it's like that anchoring of the North. And I've been in many groups where there's too much North. We're always working on our vision and our values, and we never get on with kind of like how we're going to actually make those real. Or we can have too much detail and focus, and we don't actually have the bigger picture. But the dynamic tension between the two can create a really kind of healthy unity in groups and making sure that you've got both. So one of the things that we like to say in Eight Shields is if you've got really good personal peace and practices to support that, You've got really good relational um, communication and community building, and you've got really clear processes to support unity, which include things like good governance and good decision making. If you're doing all of that in your group or your family or your organization, things should be pretty conflict resilient, right? Except they're not always. And this is where the fourth axis comes in. This is because so if we're doing all those things as well as we can, and there's still really difficult, sticky conflicts coming up, um, one of the ways that we interpret that is it's because the past is getting in the way of what we're doing together today. So we're bringing our personal sensitivities, our family history, um, our cultural wounds, the ancestral trauma or the family trauma into our dynamics with each other. And so that fourth axis is not one of the peace principles. It's got a, it's a different principle. It's the healing axis. And there are lots of fantastic people again in this summit. And someone we've worked with is Madeleine Rusté. Um, on the trauma work and looking at um, how we need to develop healing modalities and awareness of trauma and ways to release trauma as part of conflict resilience. Because if we don't, we can have the best structures ever for building peace and resolving conflict. But if we don't have awareness of our own sensitivities and the trauma that's in our systems, then we will get tripped up by that. So that needs to be part of it. So that kind of makes the basic eight shields framework is those four um, those four axes. I could show you those uh, slides if it would be helpful. I think I have them too. So, yeah, that would be. I think would be nice. Do you have them right there, John? I don't need to get them because I had them pulled up as well. <clears throat> um, either way, Deborah, it might be easier for you. That um, I will say one thing just to go back to what Deborah just explained um, with her hands, <laughs> showing you the slides with her hands. Um, <clears throat> I think you were doing some kind of a martial art for peacemaking. <laughs> yeah. um, is that there's two there's two halves to our wheel. Um, one half is the people connection side. The other half is the nature connection side. You know, so we have to constantly go back and forth between these two, and this system uh, sets up for that very nicely. Um, yeah, do you want to explain the the principles again? Oh, they went away. The slides there. Did you do that on purpose? Um, here we go. <clears throat> yeah. Sure. So, so, so you can see that we've got the the piece. Is this working? Can you? Oh, I need to make yep. the line to make that big yeah. like that. Yeah. There we go. Working. Okay. So we've got the peace axis here, running from northeast to southwest. The good message axis here, the unity axis here, and the healing axis here. And just to give one brief example of each, it's hard because. This is based on the underlying design framework, right? So when you know the directions and the kind of cultural elements or the, the energy of each direction, it makes a lot more sense. But just to give an example, on this peace axis, which was, as I said, largely about personal peace, or that's mm -hmm. one way to think about it, the northeast is that pre-dawn time when things are very quiet and quite magical and people wake up maybe to do their yoga practice or have like some quiet, creative time before the kids get up or something like that. Um, and also in the time of year, it's that mysterious time of year in, in temperate climates where things are happening beneath the soil. 
but we're not really, we can't really see fully how they're going to manifest yet. But there's so much potential, germination, you know, beginnings, excitement, inspiration. Um, sorry, that, that, that leads to, the, to that. So this northeast place is about um, a sense of kind of mystery and quiet connection. And the attribute that we put in the northeast is the quiet mind. And then down at the other end in the south, the southwest, which is the early afternoon time of day where you might want to have a nap and a snack and look after your body a bit after a busy morning of work or doing something with the family. This is the place where the energy is around nurture and rest and caring for the body and caring for the land. And so in peace building, we talk about this being peace in the body. So then you have the peace axis kind of spanning peace in the body and peace in the mind. And when you think about designing a conflict resilient system you think how do I make sure that everyone in the system has ways to return to peace in their mind and also things that support peace in the body and so each one of these axes has different elements and practices and tools that hang on each side um, and it would take longer than we have today to go through it all but um, one of the things we're offering is a, a pay what you want course that deepens into Sorry, I'm looking off to the side because your little videos are off to the side now. It probably looks weird. <laughs> um, yeah, so my tendency is always to want to give too much information and I talk too fast. So uh, enough to say we have a lot more depth and we have a, a course available called Designing for Peace, which goes over this in much more detail with lots of fantastic recordings and audio material and slides. And we're going to make that available on a pay what you want or pay what you can basis as a link underneath this interview so i'll be quiet there and pass back over to john and i'll um i've got one or two other slides that i can hold up as you talk if you want john that kind of have a few examples in these different directions yeah sure um well i think uh i, I was just feeling that same thing that i can feel people want to know more about what's here and they want us to go into the detail on this a little bit but um you know think about uh something that deborah said earlier you know, this framework is is just teaching us to pay attention to the needs of, you know, ultimately, if you don't attend to the needs of a human nervous system, your whole social thing is going to go south anyway, right? Um, I mean, you know, the wheels will come off <laughs> your, your, your intentional community, your best project with the best visions, the most highest values and all that. But if your if your people systems don't work, then there's no point in, in going forward, right? Um, there's so many of you out there who are doing amazing things. And yet when we pull people together, we have to really be aware of and attend to the needs of everyone's safety, as, as uh, Deborah was just saying. Um, you know, we have to remember that there are individual needs for peace. There are interpersonal needs for peace. We all have different styles. We all have different cultural backgrounds. We all have different wound histories. Um, and we have to have ways to account for all that. And, and then to build a framework around the whole thing that gives it lots of flexibility so it can breathe. And you can, um, you know, Root and Deborah and myself work together on this designing for peace thing that we're offering. I think you'll find it very useful and very helpful and very boiled down. We taught it in a lot of different locations to a lot of different groups and worked out the kinks in, in it um, so that it's easy to assimilate. Um, Deborah, what do you want to speak to around these slides? <clears throat> I'm really just kind of re-summarizing what I just talked through, uh, which is kind of an example um, of yeah. each direction. And these are some of the slides from, from the material that we'll offer you a link to. Um, what else do we have in here? We have a whole section around creating group agreements and the importance of having the importance of <laughs> Nuno's going to fall asleep. It's definitely Friday afternoon. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm 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 exhausted, but I'm I'm really enjoying the I'm really enjoying the the framework. Okay, cool. I know it's continue. a bit it can be a bit heady, but um, it feels good when you do it. That's the most important thing. So something that we <laughs> something that we've worked with a, with a lot of people is. Um, creating group agreements. This seems to be something that can be quite challenging when workshop settings or group settings is finding group agreements that uh, people feel good about. And that's part of this um, developing uh, a conflict resilient culture. Mm -hmm. At Transition Network, the whole year before I came into uh, being a staff member there, we spent time developing relational agreements. Um, and that was a really important kind of milestone for us as an organization. And they've, they've, they're on the website that you can have a look at those as well. Um, and what else have we done? We One of the other things that we do is talk about, in the course, we talk about feedback. 
and how short feedback loops, you know, in, in nature and in design help us to learn and emerge and evolve and see what's needed to adapt in a complex system, right? And having yeah, that, that's really important because often often communities or groups or teams try to kind of define everything from start, like to kind of prevent anything that happens, and that's impossible. You waste a lot yeah. of energy. So to have a model that allows you to put things in perspective on a regular basis and say, are we needing this? Where are we right. feeling the, the, the challenges feels really relevant. Absolutely. Mm. And you can do that at the personal level if you have a culture of kind of personal development. Um, mm. So we, you know, our organ Eight Shields is very much based on mentoring um, with the, the kind of underpinning assumption is, you know, we learn from each other and as a community, we can pull on each other's gifts and skills and help those to flourish fully in service to the community right so mentoring for us is all about what do I see in this person their potential that wants to to grow fully this is a this is a John movement actually I'm copying you here um and and how can we ask them really good questions and create a really safe and regenerative environment for them to be in where they can explore more themselves and what they want to offer in the world and that can come forth so we need to so it's all about asking good questions, creating the opportunity for people to learn and grow as an individual, but also as a system, right? So how do we ask good questions of our system, of our group? How do we have processes in, in, in place for reflection and learning? Um, there's another process called the renewal of creative path that we use a lot in Eight Shields, which is kind of a helps us have an annual cycle of, again, based on the seasons of, you know, um, reflection and pause and then kind of create it reconnecting with what our creative essence is and birthing new ideas and connecting with mystery and intuition and the muse and then bringing forth new ideas getting momentum going getting some work done resting celebrating you know it's quite similar to things like dragon dreaming and other kind of regenerative processes for design and we use that as well so and then how do we do how do we do individual feedback? Because one of the things I've seen in eco villages and um, groups that are trying to do collaborative culture is it can get a bit mean sometimes, a bit accidentally. You know, it's like instead of loving feedback where we're mutually supporting each other, it can become a bit blaming or shaming just because we're not skilled in how we do that. So again, one of the things we look at is how do we honor our diversity and see each other's diversity? How do we um, because we have a kind of way of looking at roles in Eight Shields as well, where we distribute leadership to multiple roles and give people a chance to both work in roles where they feel really excited and confident and also roles that are a bit more edgy for them. It really gives people a chance to feel like, wow, my gifts are really welcome and I can develop other parts of myself that are undeveloped. So, yeah, how do we um, give people the opportunity to learn and grow? Uh, how do we give feedback in a really loving way, which is more about kind of asking a good question or reminding someone of a conduct agreement we made and asking what's happening for them that they're not able to be in that conduct agreement right now uh, so we do a lot about that as well don't we like how do we create culture where mentoring questions feedback are done in a kind of loving supportive way um, and that's been part of the work that's been particularly when we've worked with groups they've been particularly interested in that um, I'm trying to think what else we've we've done what else would you like to know Oh, I can't hear you, Nina. Perhaps one thing before we move to other aspects of the work that I was sitting with is there's this kind of paradox. We, when we were preparing for this conversation, I, I mentioned the, the, the thing about the importance of tension in dance, for instance. And I'm thinking like there's something with, with any work with polarities and different things, and I, I think this work with directions also comes brings a bit of that of that imaginary for me of how to bring some distinctive qualities together, you know, in a wholesome way. And I'm thinking one of the things that I'm holding is we know that we one of the things that has been emerging with the conversations in the past weeks is that conflict is a natural phenomena, part of living process, and that actually it's a sort of a disruption that is calling attention to something, just like when we have something in our bodies, some, some signs of symptoms of sickness, that it's calling our attention, or and that will actually uh, can lead, there's a potential to lead to some sort of evolution of that particular system, right? 
So there's this sense of we want to reach for peace, but actually tensions. So, for instance, if you are in a group and you speak out something that you are feeling, even if that is a dissonant voice, that might be critical for the group. So I, I want to, I just want to like explore oh, yeah, a bit with I, you I guys really how, to how to hold that tension between having a, a peaceful, nurturing environment where you welcome the diversity and you are gentle towards each other and you mentioned kind, so practice kindness, but at the same time that you are, you know, sometimes you you, you own your stuff and you say, look, I'm, I'm feeling this. And, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we, we worked on this word peace quite a lot when Ruth and I um, did some, we did, a, we did several workshops with the Fintonike village around this. And we looked at, and we, we talked about this because one of the things that we have talked about in Eight Shields and in Transition and other groups have been part of exactly as this is conflict is an opportunity for community building. Conflict is an opportunity for creativity and for change to happen. It's not something to be avoided. So peace building and when we unpack the word peace, what we decided with this Fintorn group, what we co-created as the... Um, the kind of definition for that was the ability of the system it's much more it's much like resilience the ability of the system to kind of go through a disruption to navigate that in a good way and then still to return to something that might be a bit different that feels kind of um productive helpful connected you know it might so it's not a static state um and i don't think any of the practices that we offer are about maintaining or returning to a static state they're much more about how do we navigate uh, differences, tensions, conflicting styles or interacting wound histories with some grace, with some humor, with some skill. Uh, and one of the things that I've heard other uh, teachers in our movement say is that, you know, we all, we all have a different perspective. And if we're going to stand around a deer, for example, or any, or any being or object, but in this story it was a deer, if we all stand around a deer and we just describe our perspective, we're just going to describe like, oh, I'm, here's the shape of a deer's bum, you know? It's like, this is all I can see. Oh, no, a deer looks like this. It's, it's a head with antlers. No, a deer looks like this. It's this square kind of flank. So we totally, rec and actually we need the whole community to see the whole deer, right? And to describe the deer well. Is this a sure... Is this a sure story yeah, that I'm telling that's here? That's totally yeah. a sure story. Yeah, it's this a, is Sure Sharno, who's another, it's, who's an elder in our movement, and um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we totally recognise that our differences are our gifts and our strengths, and all we're looking at really is what are some light touch practices and principles that help us come together and bring those differences together and navigate them in a good way uh, with awareness. Um, yeah, so it's certainly not, I wouldn't want to say it's all about keeping everything really nice and very controlled and very static. Uh, these are just design principles to help us be more conflict resilient. But they came from, and, and maybe, John, before we move on or finish, it would be good to have a little bit of lineage of where some of these principles come from and why they're foundational to Eight Shields' work. Um, yeah, that's actually a great place to wrap this whole thing yeah, because it will yeah. tie over to also to my conversation with Ben mm -hmm. last time because he brought in the he was talking about Oren Lyons from the um, right you know the uh, faith keeper from the Haudenosaunee and he's an Onondaga faith keeper and he's a, he's a wonderful brilliant elder and he was a very dear friend of uh, Jake Swamp um, and Jake Swamp is now an ancestor but Jake and his wife Judy and Mike McDonald and other members of the Akwesasne uh, Mohawk community Ganyangahaga community up. Uh, in upstate New York on the edge of the Canadian border, they created an organization many years ago called the, the Tree of Peace Society. And they were very interested in working with Eight Shields early on because they saw that what we were doing was creating this amazing connection potential for modern people who had lost connection. We were working in inner cities. We were working with suburban people. We were working across cultures. Um, and, he, and they were like, you guys have a piece of the puzzle here. We'd like to bring a piece of our puzzle um, from the great law of peace. We want to show you how peacemaking um, can serve to build this very resilient uh, uh, community framework. And so we worked for nine years together on a project. Uh, how does um, the idea of peace building fit into the nature connection model? And one of the things that Jake Swamp observed to us early on was he said, you know, um, what you're doing is you're getting these people to go deep into nature connection in a way that I've never seen before. And when they come out, 
they have feelings. Um, and you need to create a way to catch them. So when they come back into the, into the system of people again, they don't get angry at their mom and dad uh, for the way they drive a big car or, you know, because what's happening, my wife has been up all night long with your teenagers talking to them. And what they do is they go home after their nature connection experience and they argue with their parents. So it's creating conflict in the house. And it should be that everything we do can bring healing to the family, not create more conflict in the family. So we spent quite a long time in many conferences and a lot of different people came together from many different walks of life to figure out how do we create this elasticity in the system? Because, you know, you were, you were talking, Nuno, I was kind of laughing to myself when you said that, oh, it's all about kindness. No, no, no. Sometimes we get downright, uh, you know, we get fierce with each other, you know, it isn't only of, you know, like, like when I'm at my best, I'm feeling like this, right? You know, and we get up, we get up, we get up but we're not going to fight with each other. But we recognize I'm feeling passionate right now about this, you know, and we recognize the value of passion and we allow for this expansive creative tension, you know? So, um, you know, our team isn't always peaceful and kind. You know, there's times when, when we get elevated, but we also recognize that this creative tension is a beautiful gift and the best stuff comes from it, you know? So we, you know, sure. One of our elders, she'll say, you know, uh, healing can't happen without kindness first. Right. Um, and I'd like to say that, you know, connection can't happen without kindness. But once connection is there, connection is a rope, you know, and this rope has some elasticity, like a shock cord, like a bungee cord. Mm. Um, when we have the connection first, we can expand and contract and expand and contract as as energy moves through the system. That's where the resilience is coming from. Um, but yeah, we had we had some tremendous um, support from the the Great Law of Peace and the Haudenosaunee, um, well, the Akwesasne Mohawk uh, part of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Akwesasne Mohawks. But they they started the Tree of Peace Society um, to help consult with people in the world. You know, how can you build more uh, peace based frameworks into your social systems? You know, so. Um, you know, that's a big part of the lineage, you know, um, but also we, you know, Ingwe came from the Akamba and the, um, and the Bushman tribes in, in, uh, in Kenya and in Southern Africa. Um, so there's many perspectives on this. Of course, there's been lots of Buddhists have looked at it and said, wow, this is just like Buddhism. And then we've had people from, um, uh, various traditions in India have come in and looked at it and said, oh, this is in harmony with that. Mainly the reason it, it seems to just sort of meld with different you know, the Aboriginals in Australia, the same thing that, you know, that we were working with last year, they were, they were very, it wow, feels like just, they all went to the same source, like, well, exactly. Right? That, thank <laughs> yeah. you. You finished, you finished my long sentence. Yes. It all comes from sunrise feels like this, right? Midday feels like this. And so if you're sourcing from that same original juicy place, you're activating the most ancient nervous system, you know, and the strongest uh, parts of us as human beings. You know what? One, one of the things I wanna I wanna share with, with you and, uh, and Deborah and, uh, and perhaps also it, it it can bring some other aspects to the conversation is when I, when I when I start working with uh, uh, understanding colors and lights uh, through the lenses of the the work of Gota, it opened up a lot of things for me because it's another way to look at light different from Newton, which is the deterministic that. Colors are spectrums and numbers, and and actually, Gota said something really interesting from his observations: is that uh, darkness, the, the colors emerge from the meeting of darkness and light, and mm. that's one of the reasons why, for instance, at at midday, the, there's a, this sensation of flatness. It's because there's no there's no um, uh, contrast. Contrast, exactly. Yeah. The contrast is big in the morning, in the in sunrise, and in the sunset. Mm. And and that that kind of brings some some of the hints into some of the things I, I'm I'm kind of feeling when I hear you talk about this education and these aspects of you know inviting divergent voices and things within us and in between us that often in groups also there's this kind of sense and and I, I want to push that because sometimes that stays on the very uh, implicit level that we actually being in community and holding that connection demands some sort of truthfulness or authenticity and showing up even with the stuff that is like even with saying like 
I'm jealous of you guys, you know, you were invited for this talk and I wasn't, or things like that, that often we kind of um, repress because they're not, they're not socially accepted or we feel like shame for that. And so, so I think it's a critical aspect of the work you guys are doing that I just wanted to kind of put, put out and see like what, what, do you, what do you feel about that? Well, I'd love to add something to what John was saying about when we have the ropes of connection, or you can call it a collaborative culture or a regenerative culture, when you have a container where there's trust and valuing of each other, but also a welcoming of authenticity and my, my whole self, my difficult emotions, my half-formed ideas, my sensitivities, when that's all genuinely welcomed and that's role-modelled, and I have a really good relationship with someone, you can really test that. I can really test that. And I've seen that in our transition network team, and I've seen that in our H-Shields team, that we are we show up as whole human beings, we bring our emotions, we bring our hopes and our fears, we bring our confusion, we bring our half-formed ideas, and we're not always professional. We argue with each other and wrangle ideas and come from different perspectives, and we challenge and poke each other and say, I completely disagree, or no, that doesn't seem quite right, or I see it this way, or what about this group of people? How will it affect them? And I have never had such honest conversations or such creative conversations in my life as I do with my H-Shields team and with my transition team because of all the work that's gone into creating the resilient culture of those groups. Um, connection first. Connection first. And that, and also when I um, lived, at the eco, lived near the eco-village and lived in the community near there and had those strong relationships with people, when we fell out, you know, when we had a conflict, it never went to my heart in the same way as when I'd had conflicts before with friends or family or colleagues because I trusted those relationships and I knew it was just about that example or that dynamic. It wasn't about me as a human being. I wasn't bad and wrong. It was just like, oh, we disagree or we see things from a different perspective or my unthought through comment is triggering their sensitivity from their family dynamic. Oh no, I've stepped on their toes. Ouch, I feel bad about that. Oops, let's talk about it let's have a clearing let's listen to each other let's get through it so this is what we mean by peace building is building the soil of relationship and process that can support that full diverse expression of human relationship um including the that part that oh i feel differently than you or that really hurts my feelings or <laughs> i disagree with the way you're going about that yeah, uh, it encompasses that and makes space for that to become creative rather than um, separating. And I see stronger relationships coming out of that when it's done well. Yes, yeah. that's a, exactly right. Uh, you know, I'll just put in, I just want to definitely underline what you just said, what Deborah just said, because, you know, we, I actually look forward to these moments of tension nowadays because I know, you know, we're gonna, that means that something big and good is coming out of it. And I know that we're going to get even closer, as Deborah just said. And I want to really emphasize that, you know, that. If you know how to manage tension and you have good resilience in your system, these moments of tension and disagreement actually bring better friendship, better connection, better unity down the road. That means that your peace building system is working. You know, that tension and disagreement and even deep grief experiences like a, a big loss, you know, a loss of life or a loss of job. These things can actually make the community stronger if, you're, if your system is designed well. I was actually going to touch on that because there's also the other piece within our cultures that I think I feel is really problematic. And I have a sense you you also, you both would, uh, will agree is our, our incapacity or our difficulties with dealing with endings, you know, like with death and other, other aspects of, of somehow of, of disintegration to kind of, you know, restructure, recreate um life and and living connection so i wonder like what 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 is there what what that brings to you there's something i could say i think it's quite short for me it's like working the more i work with natural cycles um so both developing my personal relationship with natural cycles and seeing the plants grow and die the animals grow and die you know the seasons move through the more i have a relationship with beginnings and growth and decay and endings and the the more those things whether it's the end of a friendship or relationship or a life or a project the more they become 
transformation into the next stage and you see the opportunity of what might come next. And and also when that decay and dying stage is celebrated and honoured and there's a place for it in the community and in the culture. And so the emotions can be present, the, the grieving can happen, it can happen with other people that welcome it. Um, again, it allows, I think it just helps the, the group or the culture to to process that and there's people that know a lot more about that than I do and, and you know John will often say that in the Sam Bushman um, group that he regularly visits with and are colleagues of his they have um, dances several times a week whenever they feel that the just the grief from being alive or the things that are happening in life are stacking up to a certain level it's time to dance and you know move that energy through um, so yeah community-based grief tending is really important and something that is a big part of the village building work that we do is supporting uh, community-based grief tending and healing to happen mm-hmm. um yeah so i think it's something to do with like having a, that ecological worldview that relationship with natural cycles and then also making space for um that part of culture that's all been quite important and transformative for a lot of people that are practitioners um in the eight shields movement what would you add to that john i would just say that you know the, they're you know the problem, you know, one time that uh, Deborah's husband, Root, who's our colleague in peace building and village building, um, asked me, what problem are we actually trying to solve here? You know, like, why are we doing any of this? What problem are we really solving? And I said, oh, well, I can I can sum that up. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, around the world, people uh, in different places at different times fell out of harmony with themselves, with nature, with one another. They developed, you know, warlike tendencies, and they started conquering their neighbors, and then this sort of spread all around the world like a disease. And all of our family systems have different histories of how that shows up in our bodies right now. Um, you know, the wound patterns in Portugal are different than the wound patterns in New Jersey, where I grew up, and, and in the UK, where Deborah grew up. But if the three of us come together, our wounds are going to show up. You know, it's not just going to be the three of us with our hopes and dreams. There is no one size fits all for any of this. And we have to be, you know, whether we're tending grief, tending our hearts, working on creative projects or building community, building organizations, that it's really who shows up is, is showing up with all of their ancient historical trauma history, not just their hopes and ambitions. And, and whatever system you create, it needs to be paying attention at all levels for all those things, you know. Um, and I know that sounds overwhelming, but, you know, really, honestly, if what Deborah and Root put together for in the uh, Designing for Peace offering that we're given to you all, I think you'll really appreciate it. And of course, you can always find us. I mean, that's the whole point, right? This is a big summit so we can all find each other so we can all help each other because we want people to know this stuff. <laughs> and Madeline's work um, that you and she did together and she does on her own. I know she's speaking on this summit, too. Uh, around the nervous system and how exactly. to deal with historic yeah, trauma when it turns up. Yeah, that's that's work yeah. that we we we've collaborated with her because we felt it was such an important piece of of the model that we work with and that she had a lot to offer on that. Um, there was one final thing I wanted to say, which is going back one step, which is you know when we were talking about how how having the strong relationships either between two people or in a group means you can have the conflict in a really creative and interesting way. The other thing that I've noticed. In my relationship with Root, my husband, who I have, you know, peacemaking agreements with in our marriage and with John as my colleague, is that when we really get practiced at holding up a mirror for each other, a loving mirror for each other, there's a fly bugging me, what's it trying to tell me? Um, <laughs> like amazing transformation can happen. And I mean, a few weeks ago, I was not, our relationship, my relationship with John now is, is very easy, you know, and I was in the kitchen making coffee and he was in the kitchen making coffee and we had our headphones in and we were chatting about stuff. And I said something somewhat offhand to him, but it was also quite a challenging thing. And it felt really easy to say it to him like, oh, but I think you need to be, you know, what I'm seeing right now is this. And I think it would really help if you did this. And it was quite a challenging comment. And John, for John, it's like weeks later, he's like, my goodness, that has really transformed things. And he's done the same for me a number of times. And so has Root. Root will often say to me, I think you're coming from a fear from fear right now. You know, like, what would it be like if you stepped into your best self right now or into? Um, so there's something about when the relationships are really strong, we can also challenge each other quite strongly and hold up these mirrors uh, of like, I can see this in you right now. But that that doesn't work when it's done when there's not relationship. It just feels mm. painful. Yeah. Um, and it creates more separation. So, yeah. So that was just there was something about the transformative nature of having the strong relationships. It's not just creative. It's actually transformative as well. 
And I agree with that. The best stuff comes out of this kind of tension. I just yeah. love creative tension. I'll just call it creative tension. Um, but yeah, but I think I think we have overwhelmed our audience at this point with detail. <laughs> I, think, I think we should yeah. just encourage you to go check out, you know, the Designing for Peace offering because uh, it's really, really useful. It's really useful. And you can always find Deborah and I at HGLs or Deborah Transition. And um, yeah, we're, we're happy to uh, to help. I mean, we want to help. I, ultimately, that's that's what it comes down to. We have a, a bit of a challenge on our planet right now. <laughs> and uh, we're up for it. We talk about creative tension. <laughs> yeah, Mother, we, we were made for these times. <laughs> That's the reason why we are all here. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. And thank you so much, Nuno, yeah. for all the incredible work you and Eva and Ben and others have been putting into this and for inviting us to come along and be part of it. It's really exciting and seeing all the other speakers that are presenting. I, I love how all these pieces of work are coming together to support other people in the world, ourselves and all the people that are doing this amazing work to be more resilient and to be more creative and to build community because we don't want that stuff getting in the way. We want it to be, you know, in service to what we're trying to do and to yeah, maximize those opportunities for collaboration, innovation and all that good stuff. So I'm really grateful to you and the team that have put this together and to John for um, being willing to come along and do this. <laughs> Yes, I'm so, yes. so happy, so happy. And Nuno, same, I, I echo Deborah's words. Thank you all so much for all you've done to put this together. And thanks, thanks to all of you out there who's watching this and to all the other co-collaborators on this, the other speakers. Thank you for what you're doing in this world. It's so important. Thank you all. Yeah, thank, thank you to both of you really for having the time and, uh, and, and, and bringing your wisdom, the, this amazing wealth of, of perspectives and, and framework from, from the, the work you've been doing and your journey. I'm deeply grateful. I know everybody who's listening to us also. Thank you for the offering of the course. That feels really important. I just feel like humble, blessed, privileged for having the chance to be spending this time with you guys and be of service. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you all. Bye, everyone. Take care. All right.